0: So, David, happy summer.
1: Happy summer. It's a hot one, and the policy fire hydrant has been opened up.
0: <laughs> we just want to get right into it. Um, so the Supreme Court recently um, put forth a ruling on Marietta Memorial Hospital employee health plan uh, versus DeVita. Um, can you just remind us about what's at stake there and then tell us what the Supreme Court decided?
1: Sure, sure. Because this is an interesting thing because – uh, Marietta Memorial is both a hospital which is likely to do certain things um, and at the same time this is them acting as an employer in terms of what they want to pay for in health insurance and you know that's a that's something I know every organization including ASN has to deal with the catch is um, that back in 2018 uh, what, what Marietta did was it basically created a plan a health care plan for its members which did not have any dialysis providers as in network so basically anything that you had to do with dialysis would be out of network um and out of network means that of course as you know you're you're our executive in terms of asn out of network usually means you're going to have higher co-pays it's going to, it means that you're going to get lower payment uh from the insurer uh, and, and also you're you know you're probably going to have a lot more incidences of having to pay for the service the health care service and then get reimbursed which is not the situation that's very you know amenable for people on dialysis so um they in 2018 davida uh as davida the, the dialysis provider went into court and sued marietta on the basis that they said that it was in violation of the medicare secondary payer act which is the that's the provision that congress did uh somewhere in the early 80s i do believe that it was designed to keep medicare uh from having to take on everyone's dialysis cost right away in other words you got there's three months going into you know when you've been diagnosed and you've got to start dialysis um that we the grace period in the United States, and you can circumvent the three the three month period by going straight to home dialysis. Um, but otherwise, if you're doing in-center hemodialysis, uh, you've got a three month grace period. And then, if you have private insurance, it's supposed to cover your medic. You're supposed to cover your dialysis for 30 months. That's the law, and you can't discriminate against um, individuals because they have ESRD um, in the provision. And so as a result, uh, you end up with a situation where, um, when you, when you really cut down the payments like the, that, that Maria was doing, it kind of, uh, it kind of puts patients in a really awkward position and a lot of them can't afford it. So you have a law that's designed to keep from pushing all of those patients automatically under Medicare. But by doing that kind of reimbursement, that's exactly what it does. It actually ends up pushing patients to go ahead and have Medicare kick in and give up their private insurance. Does that does that make sense?
0: It does. Um, you know, I, I guess just two questions to try to clarify it. So, so the first is why thirty months?
1: Well, that was a calculation Congress made, uh, just a, a, in terms of the expense. Of, of providing uh, kidney failure coverage and providing dialysis. Um, so the idea being that if you had private insurance, that you, private insurance still needed to take care of this condition for people, it couldn't just automatically, I mean, the way we do now, you, know, it, it, you can't say, oh, you've got kidney failure, we're dropping your coverage.
0: It was um, intended as a 30-month transition, basically.
1: Exactly, exactly. If you ended up, uh getting a transplant you know that conceivably could have happened within 30 months uh today's wait times are not as likely to make that happen all the time but it is possible particularly if you have if you've got a donor um a living donor lined up and so the, the idea being that you just couldn't dump all of your esrd patients onto medicare at the, at the drop of a hat that's the way congress had designed the system
0: so the other thing that we've talked a lot about has been the increased use of Medicare Advantage to cover people on dialysis. How does that relate to this Supreme Court case and then ultimately the decision?
1: Well, and we can go through what was in the decision, but if you're really going to think about it, um, if you really, if this, if this becomes widespread, what the court is allowing us, Marietta to do, then the pressure is going to really be on a large section of these patients to move to Medicare. And when they move to Medicare, they're going to be looking at whether they want to do Medicare fee-for-service or Medicare Advantage. And as we know right now, um, Medicare Advantage seems to be very attractive to a lot of people, and its reimbursement, reimbursement rate. Or a bit higher on the ESRD uh, bundle. And so you're, you're likely to get a lot of people moved into Medicare Advantage. Um, the, the catch is, is this could really accelerate things and you could have a lot of people being put in the position to make healthcare choices about their coverage without really having a whole lot of time to figure it out. Uh, because like I said, if, if everybody becomes out of network, you're all of a sudden faced with a lot more expense as a patient It, it in all likelihood. Um, these are, you know, these are, these are generalities, but for the most part, when, whenever you're insured to deem something out of network, it, it gets paid less and you get to share more of the expense. So that could really push a lot of people to have to go pretty fast. Um, one, one conversation that um, I was a part of uh, as the Supreme Court's decision came out was, Let's say you take about fifty thousand people impacted by this long term uh, over the next couple of years, who, uh, out of the entire population of kidney failure. Um, and if you take fifty thousand people and automatically put them on Medicare, whether it's Medicare Advantage or whether it's Medicare fee for service, at, at about eighty thousand dollars a year, eighty to ninety thousand dollars a year for for your for those expenses. Multiply that times 50,000 people. Um, you're talking about some very big numbers.
0: So, David, you had mentioned the decision. So the court found seven to two. So it was a pretty definitive decision for Marietta Memorial Hospital Employee Health Plan. Um, and the two dissensions were the two descending justices were Kagan and Sotomayor. So just help us sort of understand kind of what the majority decided.
1: Well, the majority decided that since I I, I think that Kagan and Sotomayor got it right when they said that this decision flew against common sense, and we'll get to that in a minute. Because what the decision by the court that was written by um, Justice Kavanaugh uh, is that basically um, since since the since the determination by Marietta was for the treatment and not for people with ESRD. Or for kidney failure, then it didn't violate the Medicare Secondary Payer Act, which prohibited discriminating against people based on the fact that they have uh, kidney failure. <clears throat> so, because it, and because it was about the payment for that that coverage, and that it was uniform for every member uh, of 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 the plan, regardless of what your status was, what you had. Then it didn't violate the tenets that were included in the Medicare Secondary Payer Act, um, but this is, you know, it, it was it, it's it's a very thin line to read, um, and it's it's kind of very much what you would kind of consider, in my opinion, you know, like very insular inside the court. Like this, we're going to parse this out and read it like just exactly this without it without really putting together common sense, um, and. That's where Kagan and Sotomayor come in. Um, uh, the, the, uh, I want to read you just a couple little points here because this is what uh, this is what the dissent says. It says the majority holds that the plan here does not so quote differentiate close quote because it draws distinctions only between dialysis and other treatments not between individuals with end-stage renal disease and individuals without it. That conclusion flies in the face of both common sense and the statutory text. And she continues on, here's the most important board. One fact is key to understanding this case. Outpatient dialysis is an almost perfect proxy for end-stage renal disease. Virtually everyone with end-stage renal disease and hardly anyone else undergoes outpatient dialysis. So basically, she's she's just saying, you know, this is, and there, and she goes through some of the other statutes of other cases that where that is, it was found to be the case, same thing, um, where basically you 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 can say that it's about the coverage of dialysis, but you you are that's. The coverage of dialysis is for people with kidney failure that's it so you are basically targeting the people with kidney failure it's just the common sense is because it, it there's no way other way around it nobody else is, nobody else participates in dialysis except for people who don't have a functioning kidney um with and i'm sure our listeners may know one or two may know a couple of clinical examples of where that's necessary in some other situations but um for the most part, I think you know what the justice is saying is is that we pretty much know that if we're talking about dialysis, we are talking about individuals with end stage renal disease.
0: To to that point, do you think that part of the court's decision is based on the lexicological confusion around ESRD meaning both kidney failure? and this program or dialysis? In other words, if, if, if we were using the term kidney failure instead of ESRD, do you think the court may have
1: looked at this issue differently? I think that is a very generous uh, reading of the situation, Todd, and I, I commend you for being so positive and optimistic about the court. Um, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, don't, I can't see it that way. I just, I just personally can't.
0: So, so you're being more cynical than I am today
1: yes, yeah, this is this is, thats is, for listeners, we generally kind of trade off, and I'm usually more of the optimist, and Todd is more of the cynic, and I think we are definitely on different sides of this today
0: so David, before we move to our next issue, I'm just sort of curious, so it sounds like the only way to move forward is legislation to amend the Medicare Secondary Pair Act. And you're right. It was passed in 1980, which is interesting because you know that's eight years after the Medicare ESRD program um, was passed by Congress and signed by President Nixon. And of course, that was 42 years ago. So it's sort of interesting as we
1: think about time. It, it is. It is. And Kagan writes at the very end of her dissent that as the majority recognizes the MSPAs, Medicare Secondary Pay Act, renal disease provisions were designed to prevent plans from foisting the cost of dialysis onto Medicare. Yet the court now tells plans they can do just that, so long as they target dialysis rather than the patients who rely on it for disfavored coverage. Congress, Congress would not and did not craft a statute permitting such a maneuver. Now, Congress will have to fix a statute this court has broken i respectfully dissent close quote um a statute that this court has broken is the way kagan writes it and it's interesting because you gotta remember uh justice kagan was formerly um a solicitor general for the united states and that the solicitor general represents the federal government in cases before the supreme court Hmm.
0: That's, that's quite something um So moving to our next issue quickly, because I know we don't have a lot of time. Um, So the same day that the court issued this decision, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services um, unveiled the proposed rule for the Medicare ESRD program. Um, I know you haven't had time. You haven't had too much time with the proposed rule. I'm just curious as to what some of the highlights are.
1: Well. Um, some of the highlights are, are are both things that are in it and things that are not in it. Um, so that that's kind of one of the things. On on, on a basic level, um, there's no major restructuring at the moment. Right away, um, there are some foreshadowings of some structures structural changes to come in the program. Um, there is an increase in the overall rate uh, of six dollars nineteen cents. Um, you know, reimbursement which is higher than most people thought the increase would go. Uh, I think within the current state of inflation, I think a a lot of providers are still going to find that difficult to deal with. Um, They are proposing to make sure that the wage index uh, never decreases by more than a a 5% cap. So as it goes up and down, but we know right now that the wage, you know, the wage coverage issue the labor issue and you've been working a lot on on workforce issues um I know Todd and it's just it's it's just a bear right now financially for any healthcare organizations and for that matter almost any businesses in the United States right now uh to deal with just a white hot job market as someone described it the other day um and uh so wages are very very much uh, on the increase so exactly how much that will help i'm not really sure, um but I know we're going to be seeing a little bit more of it uh there's some changes there's going to be a change in the definition of functional for the oral only drugs that starts in january twenty twenty five and basically what that'll mean is in order for an oral drug to be covered it'll need to be functionally the only thing available there 's not something else available um so that's been a long-going as to whether we would end up taking oral-only oral drugs out of the bundle. And I think that, that uh, CMS is trying to move in that direction. Um, so we'll have to see exactly what it says. They, they wrote specifically under the proposed definition that an oral-only drug would be a drug or biological product with no injectionable Functional equivalent or other form of administration other than an oral form. So that'll be, that'll, we'll have to see how that plays out, um, you know, for patients as well. Uh, so th- there are other adjustments in the functional categories um, within, and the functional categories really have a, make a big difference when you talk about the pass through payments for drugs under Tadapa uh, um, and so forth because, you know, they're basically saying, is there something that's already there? In the functional categories um, and that's so I have not had a chance to dive into that too deeply, but it is on my it's on my list of things to really go through
0: so so you'd mentioned you've described what's in there, so what's not in there?
1: Oh, let me add one more thing in there 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 are going to be uh steps to prevent large penalties in the quip uh because of covid nineteen uh,
0: factors and the quip is the quality incentive program.
1: Thanks, yes, the Quality Incentive Program. That's correct. Um, So, but um, there's been an ongoing conversation within the community about whether or not the uh, conditions for coverage for dialysis facilities and also for how home dialysis can be provided or not provided or how training can be done. Um, There has been a very big discussion about whether or not uh, they would open up the conditions for coverage through a RFI or request for information. Um, there are a couple of requests for information in here, but not any that apply to that. So that that discussion is going to be continuing. Uh, I know uh, probably um, actively for a while now, and so we will be seeing what you know what a lot of people in the community want to do. Um, and like I said, the community community is not completely um, unified on exactly what to do with that uh it should it be opened and so we we shall see
0: yeah i'm a little surprised why do you think they didn't sort of um include any any language or any proposals related to the conditions for coverage
1: i think that they're basically saying look we we need to we need the community to come a little bit come together a little bit more and come to an agreement on what they really want to open up the conditions for coverage to accomplish and I think probably they're getting that sitting on CMS's side, the Medicare side. They're not seeing enough uh, agreement there to want to open it up and have it just, and have a hornet's nest on their hands.
0: Well, David, thanks. You know, before we close, just to, to summarize, tell me if I have this right. So the proposed rule um, has come out, you'll spend the summer uh, working with the ASN quality committee Um, which is chaired by Scott Bieber and other um, ASN leaders and staff to draft um, comments, both from ASN, but then contribute to the different coalitions, such as kidney care partners that respond on behalf of the community. Um, Those responses will go in sort of end of the summer. And then the the staff at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services will consider all these comments and then issue the final rule, which usually comes out kind of between Kidney Week and Thanksgiving. Um, Do I have that right?
1: That is correct. I would would add, in addition to the KCP comments, Kidney Care Partners, also an important part of our focus will be our work within the Alliance for Home Dialysis as well.
0: Okay. Yeah, great. I, th- I think it's really important to emphasize that, that, that everyone responds individually and collectively. And to some extent, what CMS is doing is sort of seeing where there's alignment, and where there's not. And I think in general, there's usually alignment on a lot of these issues. And then, um, you know, they'll respond accordingly. Um, I'll, I'll give you the last words since this was very, uh, you know, we've covered the Supreme Court and then proposed rules, which I know are two of your favorite topics. Um, any last words as we start the summer?
1: As we start the summer, um, uh, I I think it's really important for us all to realize that we are still deep in COVID and there's still a great deal to be dealt with um, and that that we are going to have a lot of work to do to just kind of deal with a healthcare system that's been really hit hard by this pandemic. Well, um,
0: thank you, David. I really appreciate your taking the time to, to have this conversation today. Thank you. This podcast is copyrighted by the American society of nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare professional. If you have any questions about any medical condition, or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.